Please speak with your healthcare team before making any changes to your diabetes management. This podcast provides general information only and should not be construed as medical advice. The opinions and views expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers only. Please consult the show notes and the product user guide for more information. Welcome back, everyone, to Beyond the Bolus. It's day two at the ADCES 2023 conference in Houston, Texas. I am without my co-host today, so I feel like an astronaut in the ocean, really relevant to Houston, Texas. But we are going to talk to some excellent people today. I'm so excited to get talking. Let's go. First up today, we're going to be talking with Alyssa Heisler-Mendoza. Alyssa is the Head of Advocacy and Government Affairs at the Insulet Corporation. She's going to be telling us about her role and how she cross-pollinates with organizations like the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists and JDRF. Hi, Alyssa. It's good to see you. Please introduce yourself because I don't think I'm going to do you justice. Please, Alyssa. Sure, Nancy. My name is Alyssa Heisler-Mendoza. I am a registered dietitian and certified diabetes care and education specialist, and I lead the advocacy and government affairs team at Insulet. The angels at Insulet. That's what you are, essentially. You are one of the angels at Insulet. So we're going to get into that and what your role at Insulet is, but I have been prompted that I need to ask an icebreaker question. We've also been chatting a little bit about uh, what you've been doing since you were here in Houston, and I heard that loud and clear, you've barely eaten a meal in the last two days. So we're not going to ask you about the restaurants you've been to, but I will say uh, it is hot here. Where where do you come from? Where do you live? I come from Connecticut. Oh, so you're up in the Northeast with me. Tell me about what your favorite flavor of ice cream is, because here in Houston, I feel like we should be eating ice cream all the time. So I have a fantastic creamery in Connecticut. I live in Newtown, Ooh. and um, I try all different flavors there, but I am fond of coffee ice cream. That's my favorite. Really? We are kindred you spirits. You have to come we and like check out the coffee ice cream at this creamery. That's it. We're we're going to be besties by the end of this podcast. Excellent. All right. So you're part of the advocacy team here at Insulet. What what does that mean? What what do what what do you do as part of your role? That's a great question. So I am the senior director and I have two people on my team. I've been at Insulet for about eight years and what we do is we work with patient and professional groups within the diabetes community and we develop mutually beneficial partnerships that address a need within the diabetes community but also drive our business forward. So it's a lot of relationship building, discussions about the gaps and the needs of people with diabetes and then how we can come together and develop collective solutions. So tell me a little bit about the organizations that you work with. We're here at the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialist 2023 Conference. Do you work with the ADCES? Yes, yes, we do. Uh, We work very closely with ADCES. We are industry members with them, which kind of gives us a seat at the table. And we have ongoing discussions with them on a monthly basis, again, to talk about, you know, how do we elevate the profession within the diabetes team and primary care and um, in, in technology, you know, what is the importance of the diabetes um, clinical, uh, I'm sorry, certified diabetes care and education specialist um, when it comes to technology and how influential they are. So we're industry members with them, but we also have multiple partnerships with them. And what we did at 
ADA scientific sessions is we met with our cross-functional teams and AADCS leadership, and we spoke about um, what our common priorities are, and again, how can we collectively work together? So our teams ranged from marketing to clinical to medical to advocacy, policy work. We work really closely with them from a policy perspective. How do we increase access to diabetes care and education, um, technology, innovation? So there's a lot of commonalities and a lot of work that we do. We work with them in the data tech space, oh, wow. um, which is a fantastic platform. Oh, yes, and we that. house a lot of information there for healthcare professionals. So it's a, it's a very robust partnership. It's very cross-functional in nature and uh, we continue to assess opportunities with them. That's excellent. Um, do you guys do any work with JDRF? We actually do. We work very closely with JDRF. JDRF is a fantastic organization. We work with their um, their uh, their teams from a JDRF summit perspective. So our field teams um, work um, at these summits and we highlight Omnipod 5, but also other resources that how we support the community. I think we've been at over 30 summits. Um, we also did something really special this year, which was the JDRF Children's Congress. I heard about this. One of my close colleagues, shout out to Sam, was there with you. And I, I heard recordings and saw video. What a cool, okay, so please explain because I'm sure our listeners are like, Nancy, calm down. Please tell me, what, what is that? It's incredibly exciting and I'm so honored and just amazed that we participated in this and that we are so committed to families with uh, kids with diabetes. I've been a certified diabetes care and education specialist for 25 years, and this had to be like one of the highlights of my career. It was just an incredible experience. There are 163 families um, that came to DC and they were from the US, Canada, Australia, and the UK, international, only a couple internationally, mainly the US. And they come together and one is they're excited because they're meeting each other. So they are families that are no longer alone. These are families that are somewhat advocates. So they've done other things in the arena to elevate their, no their voice for certain issues. Um, and these kids are gonna change the world. So what JDRF does is they educate them on issues related to insulin affordability and technology and innovation and research. And it goes on for a couple of days. There's also celebrities there. So they realize that they're not alone and they can achieve things. So they had a football player and musicians and an actor. And then Aaron Kowalski, of course, the CEO was there and was considered a celebrity. And Sam Puza, who you mentioned, was at the first JDRF Congress in 1999. So you can imagine the JDRF staff was just so excited to meet her and she brought her yearbook and her t-shirt. So it just shows you how impactful JDRF summit was to her back in 1999 and really paved the way for her career moving forward because she is a tremendous advocate and just a fantastic person um, and that has a career now in diabetes. And what they do is they go to the Hill and they meet with their legislators and they talk about these issues and they show their technology. It's amazing. They, I saw the video, they're right in Capitol Hill and they're speaking to a 
special congressional group. Yes, there was a hearing. Yeah, there was a hearing. And I mean, these are set, these are people that I read about in the news all the time. What a what an amazing thing. And if you, you know, want to go search for it on YouTube, where should our listeners go if they want to watch this little snippet? You can go on uh, probably the JDRF advocacy website. Um, they do great work. I think what stood out to me is that all of these senators are getting along. And, you know, one of them made the point, you know, we're often, you know, in the news for arguing with each other and not passing legislation. But there was a point that was made uh, that here we are, we're sitting, we're on different sides of the aisle, but we're actually agreeing about this, about how important diabetes care, and I'm just going to tear up right now, how important diabetes care and access to technology really is. Yes, absolutely. It's something we all need to come together as a nation and as a community, whether you have diabetes or not, to support people with diabetes to make sure that they have access and affordable access to care and education, everything they need to have positive outcomes um, with their diabetes. Amazing. What an amazing role you have at Insulet. What an amazing responsibility that and, you know, how instrumental Insulet has been in, in kind of pushing the conversation forward with these amazing organizations like ADCES, JDRF, um, and the Children's Congress. Amazing. Thank you very much. I really enjoy what I do. I have a fantastic team. It's a wonderful organization that is really committed to supporting and is dedicated to people with diabetes. Thank you so much for joining us, Alyssa. Any parting words? Yes, I actually do have a parting word. So I would say elevate your voice. Your voice is really important. We can all create change. It's one voice can make a difference. Collective voices can make more of a difference. And there's so many issues within our society today. And the only way that we're going to create change is to all come together and speak to our legislators and change policy and really make a difference in this world. Alyssa, you made me cry on tape. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you. Please come back anytime to the podcast. Thank you. I'd love to. (laughs) Thanks, Nancy. Next up, we have Sarah Yormantota here to talk to us about her work in pediatrics. Sarah, welcome to Beyond the Bolus. Give us an introduction to who you are, where you're coming from, and what you do. Yeah, so uh, my name is Sarah. I am from New Jersey. I work at Hackensack University Medical Center in the pediatric endocrinology department, uh, mostly working with type 1 diabetes. Uh, We see patients anywhere from 11 months to 22 years. Very big technology office. It's really part of my passion to work with the kids and just see them, you know, grow up through their lives. I also have type 1 diabetes, so um, just seeing them and being able to thrive and really work with where they're at is kind of where I like to be and teach and do a lot of education. That's amazing. That's really awesome. So Heavy Pediatric Center, uh, it sounds just from like what you said that really heavy with technology. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so we start them on continuous glucose monitors, depending on age, uh, not usually more than a week post-diagnosis. And then we start introducing pumps uh, between four and six weeks post-diagnosis. But if the families are interested, once they get discharged out of the hospital, we start to talk to them about it um, and how to work it in with their diabetes care plan. Excellent. Tell us a little bit about your experience with the Omnipod 5 system. It's now been out for over a year, I think, technically, yes. Um, over a year. Uh, what, what have you found with the system? 
So yeah, we started um, putting our kids on Omnipod 5 pretty much as soon as it came out. Uh, at first, I was the only trainer in the office, so I was doing most of the trainings for Omnipod 5. Um, we've found great success with our littles. Those parents are doing really well, and they're not having to worry about did the kid eat all the carbs we bowl is for, or when they're treating all night long or all during the day, it kind of really balanced them out. And the big relief, they're not staying up overnight or worrying. They're like, wow, I got my first real sleep in, since the kid was born or something. So it's been cool. We also, with our older kids, the freedom of going tubeless for a lot of them made a big impact. Or the ones that didn't want to wear technology because you could see something uh, have done really well. Uh, on using the Omnipad 5. That's excellent. Is there a specific um, case that stands out in your mind of somebody that was started on Omnipod 5 and it was extremely life-changing? Can you tell us about that, that family? So I think across the board, a lot of it is we're sleeping through the night. Like I've had parents like, cry on the phone and be like, I haven't slept through the night in like five years or 10 years. You know, even being in my 30s, I don't even think my mom still sleeps through the night. Because, <laughs> you know, I'm out of the house and everything like that. But, um, you know, when my CGM goes off, you know, and it's really low, she worries. And, you know, luckily she doesn't track me all the time. <laughs> but, you know, the lows are the fearful part of it. So, you know, you just see it all the time. It's like, I didn't sleep through the night. I didn't sleep through the night. And then it, it's almost like a super quick turnaround it's like oh my gosh I slept through the night for the first time that's amazing you know that's interesting we're actually seeing that in some of our trial information our extension trial information of quality of life factors uh, we had uh, one of the speakers here at ADCES William, Dr. William Polanski came on to talk about quality of life and how important things like technology you know how that makes a huge difference in quality of life not just for our kiddos but also for their caregivers yeah it's really important and I think Sometimes you think more about the patient and not necessarily the caregiver. And, you know, to have it be a good quality of life for both parties is really helpful. Sarah, I just found out you're also giving a talk here at ADCES. Tell us what your, what your talk is about. Yeah, so I kind of call it my passion project. Um, it is on cystic fibrosis-related diabetes and also encapsulating, like, um, so cystic fibrosis-related diabetes is not necessarily presented as the typical form of type 1 or type 2 diabetes. Um, it's kind of a mix of both. When um, patients with cystic fibrosis are diagnosed with diabetes, it usually presents later in life, uh, post-lung uh, transplant or organ transplant after they've been really sick because cystic fibrosis is a genetic lung disorder, so lots of steroid and antibiotic use. and so what we're doing is we're just kind of bringing this education forward because a lot of... I mean, I know it exists, but I didn't know that sometimes it presents as type 1, sometimes it presents... When are you speaking? I need, to I, need to, <laughs> I need to come to that talk. I'm already learning. I'm presenting tomorrow. I think it's at 3.50 p.m. So yeah, so I was um, diagnosed with cystic fibrosis at 19 months. So... And luckily when I was diagnosed with diabetes, I was eight. So I was in the pediatric space 
so I got education from the ground up just as if somebody was diagnosed with type 1. But if it's post-lung transplant, it's kind of like they go to the hospital, they're in recovery from a transplant, and then they just go, here's some insulin. And don't do the basic education that should be encapsulated with a diabetes diagnosis. So a lot of patients with CF have been caring for their lives their whole time, and they get something else, and either they don't want to be bothered with it. Such a big diagnosis to already... I can't even imagine to have CF and then to be diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. That's... Yeah. And like as people with diabetes know, it's... You can never shut it off. It's 24-7, 365, every second of the day, and it's really hard. And with CF, it's kind of... It's there, but it's not something that you're thinking like, can I breathe? Is is my pancreas working to digest my food? It's just kind of there, you have routines and you do it. And some people that we interviewed, they're like, I could take my anti, like who have lung transplants, I could take my anti-rejection medications. I put it in a pill box, I call it a day, I'm done. Whereas diabetes, every single second. And uh, it's a big undertaking for a lot of people. So it's just like how to support the pay, like from bringing it here, just how to support those patients um, because they don't just have diabetes and they have a lot more going on than you might think, like psychosocially, and sometimes they don't even want to be bothered. But you have just the the way that you educate and knowing, like, yes, people with CF might know how to count calories, but when carbohydrates are involved, it's a completely different ball game. So. It's just almost like you're treating them like they're a new diagnosis, pediatric type one patient that you really have to start from the ground up. What an amazing talk. I wish I could attend. I will be on a plane. Sarah, any last parting words? Any any pieces of advice you want to give to other educators who are starting kids, patients on Omnipod 5? What would you say to them? I would just say, you know, work with your team, put them on the technology. It's really life-changing. Yeah, you might have to really look at their download reviews and tweak things, but don't be afraid to do it um, because there are a lot of, you know, we always say like safety features, like if sensor glucose is running low, the the pod will shut off or it's not something that you need to be fearful of. Just educate a lot ahead of time on how the pumps work and just put them on the system and you'll definitely see that it makes a big change for quality of life of both the patient the caregivers, and you will sleep through the night. (laughs) That's amazing. That's amazing. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Sarah. I I hope you enjoyed our chat. Uh, I know that you've helped educate a lot of other people on Omnipod 5 and the benefits of it it, and starting technology sooner. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Lastly, for this episode, we are talking to Jennifer Boyd, who is the medical science liaison at the Insulet Corporation. We are speaking live from the Omnipod booth at the ADCES 2023 conference. Jennifer just gave an excellent talk on the first year of Omnipod 5, and we are excited to dive into that data. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Nancy. I'm so excited to be here. I am so excited that you're here. We just heard a fantastic talk of one-year data post-Omnipod 5 launch. Before we jump into that, though, I want to make sure that, you know, you're all heated up and warmed up and things like that, because I know it can be really exhausting to give a big talk as you gave. Um, So an icebreaker question, favorite ice cream flavor? Oh, I think I have to say mint chocolate chip. Really? 
That's a classic. It is. That's it a is. classic. And I just heard that you moved recently to the great state of Florida. I did. We're moved back home. Excellent. And ice cream is much needed in Florida as it is here in Houston. It is. It's year round. You know, it's so funny. I, I had family growing up who lived in Michigan and I remember visiting at Christmas oh, gosh. and noticing that Dairy Queen was closed <laughs> for the blizzard. <laughs> And I thought, oh, kind we of don't ironic. have this problem in yeah, Florida. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's great. That's great. Um, I wanted to talk to you about the data that you just presented. I don't want you to do a whole big representation for our listeners, but just some of the key points. What what stands out to you as far as the data that we have regarding Omnipod Five information one year post starting? Oh gosh, there's so much there. Um, you know, it's been really fun to be able to, to take a look at this data over the last year plus since we launched Omnipod 5 and see those numbers grow, see how many people are really um, enjoying using Omnipod 5 and, and starting on the system in, in the real world. Uh, and I think the first of all, the most notable thing is how many people are utilizing the different custom targets. Um, you know, we talk about that a lot. We talk about personalization and choice. Uh, but kind of at the end of the day, we thought, well, is everybody going to just start at 110 or, or are different age groups going to use these different targets and set up different segments? And what we saw in the data is that, yes, they do. Um, you know, there are so many real life scenarios that rely on uh, different targets and, and, you know, more hypoglycemic risk mitigation. And so starting out a, at a higher target at different times of day is really valuable to so many people. Absolutely. You know, I think when I'm presenting and, and speaking to my healthcare providers, I often make sure I, I communicate to them the importance of different targets, right? Like, this is not just a feature that's there for you to use. This is actually a way to really customize the system to whoever it is that's sitting in front of you. And I often, you know, explain, hey, if you have somebody, an adult patient who is go, 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 go all the time during the day, but they cannot remember to turn on activity feature and they may be having some hypoglycemic events, maybe we just set their daytime target higher and maybe we set it lower overnight when we know they're sleeping, essentially, hopefully, right? Exactly. That's a perfect example. And, and really, that's the human condition. You know, it's so hard to remember, you know, to change things for every aspect of your day. And we see this a lot in pediatrics, too, with that unannounced exercise that this is so perfect for. Um, or even just wanting to uh, help optimize or, or maximize time in the classroom and make sure that those kids are learning the, in the best way possible and for the most amount of time possible. And not getting those alarms exactly. and having to go to the nurse's office. Yeah. Excellent. You know, there was something else, and I was, I was taking pictures of all these slides because I am an attendee medical legal team here at Insulet. I am an attendee, so I can do this. Um, but I think what else really stood out is that you, you all looked at the data across diverse populations, specifically Medicare and Medicaid. Can you speak a little bit to that? Yeah, yeah. So um, it's really sad that uh, there is a... Um, challenge with accessing technology among these populations who are under-resourced, who are on government-sponsored insurance. Um, and we have seen publication after publication show that uh, we as providers are not offering technology enough to these patients with Medicaid or who are historically under-resourced. 
Um, so it was really exciting to be able to look at data specifically for Medicaid or Medicare users and evaluate how they did on the system. And we saw that they had great time and range, um, really you know, significant uh, achievements for this historically marginalized population. That's amazing, that's amazing. Yeah, the data is really pretty compelling. And I also noticed that you know, people transitioned really well from multiple daily injections to the Omnipod 5 system. Um, I'm sure a lot of our listeners know that the Omnipod 5 system uh, is considered off-label, it's, it's off-label to be using with saline. And I know I come from the northeastern part of the United States where traditionally saline starts were the norm. And we really had to kind of break the process for a lot of providers and say, well, we don't, we cannot do saline starts in the Omnipod 5 system. I think it's telling that people who are coming from MDI had a lot of success moving right to insulin in their Omnipod 5 system. Yeah, yeah, no, that's um, a really great point and, and more just kind of incredible data that we have through the, the cloud connectivity and being able to access uh, data for all of our users. Um, you know, we are really working hard to break down barriers to starting AID because we know that AID is so instrumental in helping improve outcomes for those living with diabetes on insulin. And what uh, we see with Omnipod 5 through the ease of training, the, the tubeless form factor is that it's opening up the AID option for so many more people than have previously been able to access it. Uh, and so with our MDI population coming to, to Omnipod 5, we were really thrilled to see such strong time and range of over 70% for uh, anyone coming from AID, uh, or sorry, from MDI looking at all ages. Um, so really incredible result and really breaking down barriers uh, to getting on AID systems. I think a lot of our healthcare providers are often surprised that we have Medicare coverage and that it's actually Medicare Part D, right? And you made a great point in your talk that the Omnipod 5 system goes through pharmacy benefits, and so there is no four-year lock-in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We have no four-year lock-in because of that pharmacy channel access, uh, and we also don't have the requirement to check C-peptide um, in our friends with Medicare. So it's really transformed access uh, to these systems. I was actually just talking to someone in the poster session earlier who, who um, you know, that, that point about uh, the speed of access and more than 50% of people getting their pods within 24 hours of prescription, that really resonated with her. And she felt that she had seen that in her clinical practice as well. And in some of the other pumps going through DME had seen a delay of three to four weeks. And that was actually, a, had a huge impact on her population of under-resourced individuals um, because the uh, recency of that conversation is so important to, to continuing to have that motivation and get on product as soon as possible. Of course, and, that, and you know, providers are busy. They lose track of where things are for each individual patient. So being able, I would imagine, to get things very quickly for your Medicare, Medicaid population is, is amazing. It's yeah, different. Yeah, of utmost importance, really. Absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely. You gave actually a golden nugget of a story that you had heard from the talk with Carrie Burgett. Can you, and you shared it uh, just a little while ago, can you share it here for our listeners? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So Carrie Burgett is wonderful. She's of course at the Barbara Davis Center and has been uh, instrumental in creating the Panther program, um, which offers a tool for evaluating Omnipod 5 and other AID systems. 
as well. And uh, she told a story of a, a patient she had, a teenager who had really been struggling with diabetes management. Um, she was burnt out uh, in her care and she had limited parental support because it was a single parent household and mom was having to work multiple jobs. So she was on her own a lot uh, for diabetes management. And um, you know, what's, what's incredible is that uh, she started on Omnipod 5 and saw an increase in time and range from 22% to 65%, oh. which is just massive. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> That's life changing. It is. It's life changing. And it's really incredible. So, you know, certainly we know that international consensus guidelines make us want to, to strive for, for time and range above 70, but we can't discount the huge impact that it's had on this girl's life. Absolutely. And allowed her to be successful for where years she to is. come. For mm -hmm. years to come. You just added years to her life. That's amazing. Exactly. And that's not all. I mean, we hear so many stories like this. I, I heard a really touching story recently of a young boy who has type 1 diabetes and also Down syndrome. And they were um, really concerned about starting him on a, a pump because they weren't sure he would, he would keep it on him. Exactly. Be able to keep like it this. on. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he's also nonverbal is kind of the other aspect. And what's just so incredible is that it's actually allowed him to communicate better. And now when he wants a snack, he touches his pod. And it's just been a really phenomenal response. I'm fanning my eyes because I'm going to burst into tears. <laughs> I've trained patients like this. Um, so that makes a huge difference for caregivers, whether they're... Um, whether they're living at home with family or whether they're living in a, in a group home of sorts. So, wow. We gotta end on a more. <laughs> <laughs> that I is a happy note. That is a happy ending. And, and you know, honestly, crying, those responses are why we were rated the number one patient uh, preferred pump um, in 2022. And what's so exciting is we are just gonna keep innovating and to keep doing more and hopefully retain that spot. That is our goal is to always be the, the pump that patients prefer, that users prefer. We wanna make sure that we're giving them what they need to manage their diabetes. I'm so excited for the future. I Me really too. am. I just feel like <laughs> diabetes care is just improving every year. It's getting better and better and better and better. Well, Jen, thank you so much for joining us here at Beyond the Bullis. I'm sorry my, my sidekick isn't here to also ask you questions but we are honored that you came by. Thank you so much. Keep doing what you're doing. Thanks, you're, you're inspiring. Thank you <laughs> so <pleasure>. much. <laughs> so that wraps up day two at ADCES 2023 in Houston, Texas. I'm flying solo today without my partner in crime, Dina Gottesman, but it's been a really great day. We've talked to everybody that we could talk to. I'm gonna try to see if we can talk to a few more people, but please subscribe to the Beyond the Bullless podcast. We'll see you next time from wherever we are next. Take care. Thank you.